I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll be considering verse 16 together this evening. Before reading from God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our great triune God, we bow in humility before you as we begin this time of study in your Word, not out of some ritual, but out of true heartfelt acknowledgement that we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of the risen Christ to give us eyes to see and ears to hear your Word of truth to take that which is eternal and it's unchangeable truth and apply it to our lives. May we never tire of coming to you with prayers of praise and thanksgiving and adoration and bringing all of our requests before you, delighting in the knowledge that is ours that you hear us because of that perfect work of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. Let's get verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip to verse 16. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The word of our God, you may be seated. The human heart truly has disdain toward the law of God. Fallen man hates God, and fallen man hates God's ethical imperatives. I realize that's not a hugely insightful statement to make. We all know it to be true. But as time goes on in this world in which we live, I think we will see this hatred toward God's design and hatred toward His law just continue to increase, to become more and more accepted in the broader culture. And so it's important for us as God's people to be grounded in our understanding and application of the law of God. Out of the ninth commandment that we'll be looking at tonight has to do with our speech and with the charge that is before God's people to tell the truth, to speak the truth in love, to be men and women who value and long for integrity in their lives. Perhaps you heard recently of some scientists studying Alzheimer's disease who a number of years ago falsified some data by photoshopping some images of the brain in order to make the data appear to support their hypothesis. Now, whatever their motive may have been, this deception, these lies cost American taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars wasted in research not to mention the huge setback for Alzheimer's research, which was all based upon this false study. It was a study that was so influential, a study that held out such promise that all other avenues of exploration were put on hold in favor of this particular route. And so it's as though the entire field of Alzheimer's research and study has been going in the completely wrong direction for almost 16 years. Undoubtedly, what started out as just a small adjustment to some images just kept steamrolling more and more with lies and deception, the consequences of which are absolutely devastating and will be felt for generations. As God's people, we would be wise to consider not only the deceit in the world around, that's easy enough to find, but to consider the deceit within our own hearts 
Where are we guilty of violating the ninth commandment so that we might continue to come back again and again to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and repentance coming to him that we might grow and mature in Christian living? Just as we've done over the last few weeks as we approach the ninth commandment, let's back up for a moment and consider the reasons behind this particular commandment. And so this is our first point this evening. What are some reasons for the ninth commandment? Let's think first from a transcendent or ontological perspective, we might say. And by that, I simply mean our God is a God of truth. The evil one is the father of lies. And so, why are we to be truth-tellers? Because our God cares about truth because He is the God of truth. He never speaks falsehood. He never deceives He never speaks in such a way as to manipulate his people, but he is completely trustworthy in all of his words, and whatever he says is certain. There are no varying degrees of truth-telling with God. A statement from the mouth of God is as good as a promise that we can count on because of the veracity, the truth of his word. Now, we try to create different degrees of truth-telling in our own lives, don't we? We call little lies white lies. We convince ourselves that, well, if we were completely honest with that person, they really couldn't handle it, and I don't want to hurt their feelings. When you were a little kid, maybe you put your hands behind your back and crossed your fingers as though that gave you a pass to tell a lie. If you got into a fight with your sibling and your parents came into the room, you're quick to point out all the ways in which your sibling is at wrong, is at fault, but you are righteous and just. But such things are not true with God. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. Very simply, it is contrary to the very character of God to lie. And he calls his people to emulate him, loving the truth and telling the truth. But not only is God the God of truth, the devil is the father of lies. The Scriptures tell us that the devil has been lying from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, he casts doubt upon the truthfulness of God's Word. Did God really say? Jesus says in John chapter 8, the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so, this really is the most foundational reason to heed the ninth commandment, because in our words, we are emulating someone, either our Father in heaven or the evil one who is bent upon destruction and who is condemned to eternal damnation. But another foundational reason for the ninth commandment is the inherent weight or power of words. There's the little children's adage that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, typically said by a child who's trying to fight back tears because of something destructive that was said to him by a sibling or friend. Words can cut, they can wound, they can utterly destroy, or words can build up, encourage, and edify. Not too long ago, when Adam preached through the book of James, you might remember chapter 3 of James and those vivid images of the power of the tongue. 
The tongue is that small member of the body and yet extremely boastful. The tongue is a fire, James says, a world of unrighteousness set on fire by hell, a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is powerful and it is in need of the redeeming work of Jesus. Listen to the power of words from Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so again, our words are never neutral. We are either speaking the truth or we're telling lies. We're either building up or we're tearing down. We're either using our words to cause harm or encouraging one another and honoring the Lord. Words are powerful and they are weighty. But there's one more foundational reason for the ninth commandment, which is life together. Life together within the covenant community. You are not to bear false witness against your neighbor because of how destructive lying can be. And the people of God are told that in order to have a civil society with one another, they are not only to speak the truth to one another, but to speak the truth about one another. Think for a moment about all of the modern technology that can be used to prove guilt or innocence of someone who's charged with a crime. It seems as though there are security cameras virtually everywhere these days. Not only to add to that, ring door cameras that everybody seems to have on their front door capturing images. You watch some uh, crime show on, on television, and the first thing the lead detective says is, go find the video footage. And you could add to that the field of forensic science with blood testing and fingerprinting and polygraphs and DNA matching. No matter where you go, it seems as though you leave behind you a trail of evidence of the path that you traveled. But of course, in the ancient Near East, things were not like this. So how do you prove guilt or innocence if you're charged with a crime? Well, it's eyewitness testimony and eyewitness testimony alone. The only way that someone could be proven guilty was through corroborating testimony of two or more witnesses. Otherwise, it's just one person's word against another. And how do we know that it's not just a neighbor who has a grudge against another? And the law of the Lord recognizes that someone's life could be utterly destroyed by false testimony. Now, turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 19. In Deuteronomy 19, further in the law of the Lord, there is further instruction and expansion upon the danger of one who might bear false witness against a neighbor. We read in verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties in the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so notice how seriously the law of the Lord takes witness-bearing. If someone is shown to be a false witness, then the crime that would have been inflicted upon the one found guilty is now placed upon that false witness bearer because you simply cannot have a functioning society without this type of accountability for the things that we say with our words. 
And so these, again, are some foundational reasons for the ninth commandment. But let's go on and think more broadly this evening to consider how this commandment applies to our words in all sorts of varying ways. And this is where our catechism, if you look at the larger catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism, for example, can be of great help to us. And so secondly tonight, what is forbidden in the ninth commandment? Well, really what is forbidden is using our words in a selfish or a destructive manner. The most obvious violation of this commandment is outright lying about another person, saying something about another that you know full well is not true, thus bringing harm upon their reputation, seeking to destroy them in some way. But even failing to speak the truth, being silent when our words can actually promote or encourage truth, a failure to stand for what is right is also a violation of this commandment. We might think as well of flattery. We may flatter another person to try to get something from them or for them to think highly of us. We flatter ourselves when we only highlight our accomplishments and gloss over our failures to try to put ourselves in the best possible light. I read somewhere recently that over half of all resumes contain at least one glaring lie about someone's past. And the general mindset is that one's willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how badly he or she wants the job. We might think of differing ways in which we can twist the words of another. We misrepresent someone when we take their words out of context or when we attach a wicked motive to something that somebody said and then pass that along to another as though it's truth. It's a lie to take something that is false and to present it as though it is true. And we know when we're misrepresenting someone. We know when we're spinning stories to make ourselves seem righteous and another wicked. We know when we're not being completely honest. We know when we're trying to damage the reputation of another in order to build ourselves up. We can also be guilty of deceit or duplicity when we tell partial truths or, again, distort something that someone says. Think of how the accusers of Jesus twisted his words when he said that he would destroy this temple and raise it again in three days. While he was speaking, of course, about his own death and resurrection from the grave, those who had hatred toward him were deceitful, making Jesus seem as though he were mad. We misuse words when we fail to keep our word, when we have a general lack of integrity, when we say that we'll do something but when we don't follow through, when we agree to do something when you know full well that you have no intention of doing it. And then there's also gossip or slander, speaking about another when they're not present in a way that is meant to damage his or her reputation. But gossip is not just spreading lies. Gossip can also be saying things that are true, but with the intent of belittling another person. Maybe it's mocking their failures or their weaknesses, pointing out some deficiency in their character or in their ability. But gossip can also be passing along information about another that you don't have permission to do. It's not always something bad. It might be passing along good news. Maybe a friend spoke to you and 
told you of an engagement. A young couple comes to you and tells you about an expectant child that they're going to have. A friend confides in you that they're facing a job promotion that they're so excited about. You take that and you share it with other friends, sort of robbing them of the joy of sharing that information with those friends firsthand. But maybe we're not even the ones who are spreading gossip, but maybe we're also listening to gossip. Think of how tantalizing gossip can be, how we like to hear secretive things, how that makes us feel like we're part of that inner circle. Proverbs 18.8 reads, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. When you're checking out at Publix and you see those tabloids, they don't expose the celebrity husband for being faithful to his wife and children. They don't talk about all of the ways in which he gives of his time to serve his community or make charitable giving. Nobody cares about that. But it's the failures and the weaknesses of another. Those are the things that we want to hear. It brings people down and it makes us feel better about ourselves. And so even allowing gossip to go on in our presence is a violation of the ninth commandment. Well, what if someone is saying something about another that you don't want to hear? Well, you might say something like, well, it sounds like you should really go and talk to that person. And if you've already tried that, perhaps take another with you. Perhaps take me along with you to go help. Or it sounds like he might be going through a rough patch in life. Maybe we should pray for him and even stop right there and pray. That would put an end to gossip, wouldn't it? In some settings, you might just need to remove yourself from the conversation Because by remaining present, even in silence, well, that can be interpreted as acceptance of the things that are being said. It's a lot easier to complain. It's a lot easier to entertain gossip than it is to pursue holiness of life, isn't it? We need to be careful about believing everything that we hear just because it sounds true, just because it affirms something that we want to hear. Later in Proverbs 18 and verses 13 and 17 We read, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Before you say something about another person who isn't present, here are a few simple rules that you might think through. Is what I'm about to say true? Am I absolutely certain that it is true? And even if it is true, is it something that needs to be said in this conversation? Am I just saying it for selfish reasons or for destructive motives? So is it true? Do I need to say it? And thirdly, if that person were here, standing right here with me, would I say the exact same thing in the exact same way? If my words were recorded and played back to that person, would I be okay with that? You know, one question that comes up frequently when we think about the ninth commandment is, is it always a sin to tell a lie? Is there ever a justifiable reason for telling a lie? Well, first, I think we need to be extremely careful in even asking a question like that to consider the motives of our own hearts and why we might be raising such a question in the first place. Am I trying to justify some sin or sin pattern in my life? Am I trying to lay some sort of groundwork so that I can tell a lie and then justify it later on? Am I just interested in debating 
the finer nuances of the law of God to try to keep God's law far from my heart? Am I looking to undermine the authority or the clarity of God's word by coming up with some scenario in which lying seems to be the only way out? And so we ought to be appropriately suspicious of our hearts by even asking the question, is it okay to lie? But if we assume that we are asking that question in a posture of humility, well, there are a lot of things to consider that kind of go beyond our time together this evening. We might think of biblical narratives, for example, in which the children of Israel are engaged in warfare, and they might seek to deceive an enemy in order to have victory over their opponents. We might think of one who remains silent when the whole truth might be used to bring unjust harm against another. Doesn't Jesus himself remain silent before his accusers, leading to his condemnation? Certainly, this is no lie on his part. Earlier in the book of Exodus in chapter 1, you might remember the Hebrew midwives were told by Pharaoh that they were supposed to kill all the male Hebrew infants who were born. And when Pharaoh asked them why they were allowing the male children to live, they replied, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Many have looked at that statement and said this is a justifiable lie, we might say. But perhaps it's no lie at all, but a statement about how God is working among his people. God was blessing the Hebrew women with healthy and strong newborns. Perhaps they were having relatively quick deliveries, or perhaps this is a lie said to a wicked tyrant. But what is clear from the text is that the midwives are not commended because they lied, even if they did so, but they were commended because they feared God rather than man. And so for that, they are commendable. So we should not look at a text like that as some sort of justification for our own lying, but the emphasis that we should draw from a text like that is being amazed at the power and the purposes of the Lord God. The point is not to use those midwives, Shifra and Pua, as an example of why it's okay for you to tell a lie, but rather the point is to see the sovereignty of the Lord, to see the fear of God instead of the fear of man, and the faithfulness of the Lord to preserve these two women for standing for life and for truth, and to the fact that the Lord blesses them, giving them families of their own. We could say the same thing about Rahab in the book of Joshua. She was commended for her faith in the Lord. She was commended for her desire to be numbered among the people of God. She was not commended for her lying. The midwives and Rahab were not saved because they were flawless people, but they were saved because they trusted in the promises of the Lord, and they ultimately were saved because of the flawless work of Christ. But the point here is that we can trust the all-powerful, wise God. We can never say in our lives, I had to lie. I had no other choice. Because we are never put in a position in which the only option for us is to sin against the Lord. Well, let's go on and think for a few moments about what is prescribed in the Ninth Commandment. And this is our third point this evening. What does this commandment require of us? 
Although this command charges us not to bear false witness, we could say more positively that the command is telling us to speak the truth. Again, to be men and women of integrity, thinking before we speak, guarding our words, and considering the implications of those words. This commandment calls us to promote the truth and to promote the good reputation of another seeking to honor our Father in heaven and learning to live our lives before the face of God. As we sort of think back again to that criteria to use on whether we ought to say something in the presence of another person, would I say these things if that person were present? We could ask, would I say these things if my beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus, were standing right next to me, listening to my every word? And the reality is, of course, that all of my words are spoken in the presence of the living God. He hears not only everything that I say, but He knows the motives of my heart, and He knows my intentions. And if I profess to be a follower of Christ Jesus, I ought to ask, do my words reflect that ultimate allegiance to my Savior and to my King? Am I seeking to bring every thought captive to Christ? And by implication, since it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks, am I seeking to bring every word under His Lordship? Am I looking for opportunities to build up and to encourage where I see the Lord working in the life of another? Am I quick to commend that person for drawing faithfully upon the means of grace? In the rearing of children, do you see your son or daughter with a tender conscience wanting to repent of sin and honor the Lord? Are you speaking words of encouragement and affirmation to help them grow towards faithfulness, to grow and mature in love and good deeds? Philip Ryken writes, telling the truth means thinking and saying the best about people. We don't automatically presume the worst of others, but we give others the benefit of the doubt in learning to live patiently with one another. Paul in Ephesians 4.15 says simply, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Don't convince yourself that you can just speak the truth and say whatever you want because it's true, though it may be hurtful and harsh. And don't convince yourself that the loving thing to do is to say nothing because you don't want to hurt the feelings of another. Sometimes speaking the truth in love means saying difficult things because you care about the honor of the Lord and you care about your neighbor. But behind all of the words that we say is a much more fundamental question, and that is, who do these words belong to? Now, in this country, we value our freedom of speech, but with that does not mean that we can say whatever we want in whatever way we want to say it. And it seems as though as our society becomes more and more polarized, and there are speeches and online pundits and those who have podcasts that are filled with all sorts of angry and hateful and vitriolic things said about those on the other side of the aisle, and it can be tempting for us to gravitate toward those who are more in agreement or in alignment with our own thinking than others. We must be mindful of the destruction that such words can cause in the life of others in our own hearts. We can, of course, be grateful for the liberties that we have, 
But that is not the full picture of those who were in union with Christ Jesus. We are not our own. Our words are not our own. But we were bought with a price, with the precious shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has redeemed me. He has given me new life. And so all of my words belong to him. And we are to seek to glorify him and not live for ourselves. Because with every word that we speak, we are professing an ultimate allegiance, either confessing that our God is Lord of our life or professing allegiance to our own self-interested, selfish desires. And as we close, let's think for just a moment about how this commandment is fulfilled in our Savior. As we think about all of the ways that we violate the ninth commandment, as we think about the high calling of the ninth commandment and what it requires of us in the use of our words, the solution is not simply go out and try harder, just be more disciplined, just find the best 12-step program that you can find or eight techniques toward better communication skills. Self-help literature is all over the place and will tell you things like this. You just need to think more highly of yourself. Learn to forgive yourself. Tell yourself that you are worthy and lovely. Because words are so powerful, use those words to build yourself up. There's a self-help guru who says that when he's feeling down or discouraged, he'll look at himself in the mirror and he'll say, I love you, over and over again until he feels better. It's kind of like a modern-day Stuart Smalley if you watched SNL back in the 90s. And if that doesn't work, he sends himself flowers and a note of encouragement to build himself up. But as silly as all of that sounds, the reason why it appeals to at least one individual is because he recognizes the power of words, and he recognizes the need for a voice of affirmation, we might say, from the outside to declare him worthy and righteous. But he longs for what cannot be met through some simple ritual of self-love, but only through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is only in Christ that we can be declared righteous. The problem is not just with our words. And the problem is not just that we feel bad for the things that we say or are hurt by the things that other people say to us or about us. But our problem is much, much deeper. Calvin says the tongue exists to reveal the heart. If it's true that it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks... Our word problems reveal heart problems, and we cannot change our own hearts, but we need the Holy Spirit to change us. We need the grace of God to forgive us in Christ Jesus. We need the power of the Spirit of the risen Christ to enable us to walk in newness of life. Our comfort and our hope is that we have a Savior who fulfilled the ninth commandment throughout His entire life and did so for us. He never betrayed a confidence. He never gossiped about another. If you were on the playground as a little child, as a classmate of Jesus, and you saw him talking over there in another circle of friends, you never had to worry about him saying something about you, unless it were positive, 
building you up. He never bore false witness, but he only and always spoke the truth in love, for he is the truth, and he is the only way to the Father. And then he stood in the place of liars and deceivers, taking the judgment that we deserved upon himself. He fulfilled Isaiah 53. There was no deceit in his mouth, but he was silent before his accusers and treated as one who was wicked. When Jesus was put on trial before those religious leaders, they were desperately trying to find someone who would bear false witness against him, but they could not find anyone willing to do so. Jesus did nothing false in his earthly life, and so a false witness, as we saw from Deuteronomy 19, ran the risk of being condemned to death if he was shown to be wrong. And it's only after twisting the words of Jesus that they believe they have enough to condemn him to death. But why did Jesus remain silent before his accusers? Why did he willingly allow them to speak lies about him? Because if he truly defended himself, he would be shown to be innocent and righteous and would have been set free. But it was the will of his father to crush him, to put him to grief, to be numbered with the transgressors that we might be counted among the righteous. Who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who can enter into the presence of the most righteous and holy one? He whose walk is blameless, he who does what is right and who speaks truth in his heart, who never slanders with his tongue nor does evil. Christ alone has done those things. And by faith alone in this most blessed Savior do we have access to that heavenly kingdom that awaits us at the end of this age. And so may we, as we rely upon the Spirit of Christ, Speak the truth in love. Guard the truth. And ever walk in faith and repentance. All to the glory of His name.